So Revelation 6, verses 1 through 17, and then the first four verses of uh, chapter 7. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was, an, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we uh, look at it further. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word and some portions of it are very straightforward, and some are 
in some ways harder to understand. And so, Father, always as we approach your word, we pray for your blessing and for your work so that we would understand it. And especially as we approach this text, which is uh, in some ways very difficult, we pray that you would be here with us and that you would show us what you would have us to see so that, our, um, so that we might be encouraged. And Father, we pray it uh, expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I was working on this uh, sermon o- over the summer, um, it was, uh, I flipped over to my Google News page, right, to take, take a break for a minute. And it was all about the shooting of the police officers in Dallas, right? If you, unless you were, you know, living under a rock, uh, you remember the events of this summer it was all, uh, at least in some sense, sparked off by the, uh, the uh, police shootings of uh, unarmed African-Americans in Baton Rouge and then in Minneapolis. And then during a protest in Dallas, a, uh, a gunman uh, shot and killed, what was it, five police officers and wounded a number of others. And then the story started to come out about those police officers and how one had just gotten married and you know, another had just become a father. And you know, the same stories uh, are coming out about the, um, the men that were killed by the officers. And then I, I scrolled down a little bit and I read uh, about how Christians are being persecuted in Iraq and Syria and Pakistan and how that persecution is on the rise. Uh, how thousands of Christians in Pakistan are being forced to flee their hometowns um, because their houses are being burned down just because they're Christians. Um, or they're not allowed to, they're fleeing because they're not allowed to buy food in the marketplace because of their beliefs. And then one story was highlighted about a, uh, a Christian lady who was dragged out of her home and she was beaten. And she was stripped naked and she was uh, gang raped. And all of that was in front of her five children. And so look, when you hear things like that, when you read a story like that, um, when you hear about it, and certainly if you experience something along those lines, when you experience the, the pain and suffering of this world, what do, you, what do you do with it? How do you make any sense of it? How, how, do, you, how do you process it? Uh, this semester, if you've been with us, you know we're studying through the book of Revelation. And Revelation is uh, exactly that. It is God revealing to his first century church and to us today. Uh, he's revealing what's really going on in the world. Right, Our theme is the unveiled truth. And we say every week that it's like God is pulling back the curtain on reality. And he's showing us, uh, you know, it, despite what, what things seem like, here's what's really going on. Here's what's true. And tonight, uh, this passage in, in Revelation 6 and then a little bit in 7, I think, I think it really highlights for us what I want us to see is the unveiled truth of suffering. We're going to at least try to begin to answer some of those, those big questions of, of what do you do with the pain and the suffering that we see in this world? And look, I feel, look, in just 30 minutes, um, 
this is just not a topic that you can cover in 30 minutes and say like, all right, we, you know, we put a nice bow on that. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't claim to be able to, to do that. And if you have questions about it, again, I, I'd love to talk with you more about it after or later. Um, but I want to look at three things tonight along those lines. We're going to see the reality of suffering. Secondly, we'll see the reason for suffering, or at least focus on one main reason for suffering. And then thirdly and finally, the end of suffering. All right, so first, the reality of suffering. Um, and as we begin, uh, let's, I want to take just a second to remind us what we've, kind of where we are in Revelation, and what, especially what we saw last week. Uh, last week, or actually the last couple of weeks, we saw, we've gotten a glimpse, uh, John has gotten a vision of, and therefore we have seen, this vision of God's, of the throne room, right? The control center of the universe. And there's a throne at the center of the universe, and that throne is occupied by God himself. And we saw, uh, not only is it uh, God himself, but we saw last week that, uh, that it is occupied by Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And at the same time, He is the, the Lamb that was slain. Right? And if you recall, when He came on the scene, uh, it, was, it was because, it was in the context of their uh, a scroll. John saw a scroll. And the scroll was bound up. It had seven seals on it. And nobody could open it. Nobody was strong enough or worthy enough to open the scroll. And we said that the scroll represented God's plan for human history. Really, how He's going to bring, uh, and His actually bringing, redemption and justice to this world. That's what the scroll represented. And nobody could open it. And then Jesus, the Lamb that was slain, shows up. And so this vision that we have tonight is of Jesus beginning to open the scroll. Really, um, it, it's a vision of, of what this plan of redemption and justice is going to look like. What, what it, the character of it. We could say that it's really a vision of world history from God's perspective. Alright, so what is the plan for history unfolding? What, what does it look like? Well, we get this sort of strange vision of the first four seals being opened and these, the, each living creature says, come. And then a horse and a rider come out. And it's kind of weird, but uh, the first horse, or the first seal, reveals a white horse. And he has a crown and he, gets, he goes out and he conquers. It's a symbol of military victory in that day. And so this is a picture of nation conquering nation. The second seal is opened, and it reveals a red horse. And this horse has the ability, is given the ability to take peace from the, from the earth, and it results in, in people killing one another. And the third seal reveals a black horse, and the rider has a scale, right, to weigh something in his hands. And then we hear a voice say this, A quart of wheat for a denarius... And three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So what is that? Well, a denarius was the amount of, uh, amount of money for one day's work. Typical, uh, you know, typical you know, day labor job, you would get one denarius for a day's work. And that amount of wheat and barley um, was about what you would eat in a day. 
So basically, it's depicting a time when food was very scarce and very expensive. Right? You could, you could think about it like this. Um, it would roughly be like a loaf of bread and you know, a, a jar of peanut butter costing like $60. Something like that, which is crazy expensive. But at the same time, the oil and wine seem to be unaffected. They seem to be the same price. Uh, and so it, it seems to be that the rich are unaffected. So the poor are getting poorer and the rich are unaffected. So it's a time, it depicts famine and, and, yet, and yet greed, right? Economic disparity. And then the fourth seal that we see play out, it reveals a pale horse and its rider is death and Hades, or, or you could say the grave. Pale is basically a sort of greenish color. It's the picture, you're supposed to get the idea of a dead body. And so basically this depicts death of just all kinds, Um, Through, you know, uh, the sword, famine, pestilence, wild animals, disease, those sorts of things. So basically, what what do you do with these these weird symbols that we're getting the picture of? Right? This is what world history is going to look like. God's plan of justice and redemption unfolding looks like these things happening. And they seem to be, we're going to look at this in, in weeks to come... Uh, in other ways, that, that these are happening at the same time. It's not like seal one runs its course, then seal two. But we're, all of these are a picture of what's currently going on in the world. And I think basically what, what you see when you put all that together is that God's plan of justice and redemption unfolding, it involves a lot of pain and suffering. Just to put it bluntly, that God bringing his plan of justice and redemption, which is a glorious thing, what we all long for, him bringing that to fruition, at the same time, it looks like a a lot of pain and suffering and death. Now keep in mind John's context. We've talked about this before. The early church... Right, they're, they're trusting in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the king of the universe. He's on the, you know, he, he rose from the dead. And he's going to come back one day and he's going to fix everything. And yet, as the years go by, things seem to be getting worse. When, you know, Jesus is going to come back and fix everything. And yet, life as a Christian is just getting harder and harder and harder. And so I think this in some ways had to be comforting to John in in the first century. Because recognize what he's getting. He's getting a glimpse of what God says is really going on. Look, this is my plan. My plan involves these things happening. The very things that John and his, uh, his brothers and sisters are looking around and saying, this is what we're experiencing. And God is giving him this vision to say, yeah. It's actually supposed to be that way. This is plan A. You can, you can expect this. Uh, I, Jesus is saying, I am sovereign. I'm on the throne. And, and this, is, this is what you can expect. Everything's going according to plan. Even though it seems like the opposite. It seems like the world's spinning out of control. Um, it made me think of... Uh, 
Uh, for those of you know, that know our family, you know that our, our middle uh, child is a boy named Davis. Uh, he was born deaf. And he got, uh, from just a few months old, he had hearing aids. We put hearing aids on him, and he got, he got just a little bit of sound. Um, but it became pretty evident that he was going to need um, more than that. And so when he was about one and a half, he got a cochlear implant. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's basically like a, um, uh, it's like a sort of a big hearing aid that works in a different way. Um, you have to have surgery to, you know, implant it. It's in the, in the name. And so, look, if, has anybody seen the videos on YouTube of kids hearing for the first time when they turn on their cochlear implant and their mom says, like, hey, sweetheart, and, you know, they, they look around all wide-eyed, you know, and amazed because they've heard for the first time? Okay, if you hadn't cried in a while, right, or if you just, you know, want to see it, YouTube it, there, it's unbelievable. Amy and I watched one actually before Davis was born, just a few days before he was born, which is, you know, weird, but... Um, so... When we're going, when we're heading into the, uh, you know, he's had the surgery, but they don't turn it on for about a week. We go into the doctor's office, and they tell us, you know, all right, we're about to turn it on, but listen, since he's gotten some sound, right, you know, they said, have you seen those videos? And we're like, yeah, yeah. They told us, look, that's not going to happen, okay? Because he's heard a little bit. When we turn this on, he's just going to hear more noise. So he's not going to do the like, you know, look around and, you know, you're going to put it on YouTube sort of thing. And it's okay. Right? We're telling you he's not going to do it, so don't be alarmed when it doesn't happen. And that was super helpful because I think we were both expecting that, right? And sure enough, we turn it on and, you know, start talking to him or whatever and he doesn't, doesn't recognize it. And they also told us, uh, see, Davis... Davis could, like I said, he could hear just a little. And he was actually beginning to recognize his name. So you could say Davis, and he would turn and look at you. Um, And so they told us, look, for the next couple of weeks, he's actually going to get worse. So expect that. For the next couple of weeks, now with this thing on, you're going to say his name, and he is not going to turn around. But don't worry about it. That's supposed to happen. And sure enough... That's what happened. And if they hadn't told us, it would have been really disturbing, right? Because we just, you know, did this, went through this big, you know, this kind of scary thing, and and he's worse off. But it went just like they said. Right? You you get the picture. when When somebody tells you, like, look, here's what you can expect, and it's not what you think, there's a lot of help in that. There's actually a lot of comfort in that to know that this isn't the way I pictured it, but the authority is telling me this is what to expect. And that's what this vision is. God showing his people what, what uh, we can expect. That, quite frankly, that experiencing pain and suffering is normal. Um, it's, plan, it's plan A for the kingdom. Right? It's not happening outside of God's perfect control. Did you notice uh, all of these riders, are, where do they come from? They come from Jesus. They come from the throne. It was granted to them. All right, so we're going to talk about why in just a minute, but what does that mean for us? Well, it means the same thing that it meant for John and the folks in the first century. That Look, as you look around your life and you, and you experience pain and suffering in, in, in whatever way, 
And it feels like the world is just kind of coming unhinged, potentially. Because your family's breaking up. Because school is just going down the tubes. Uh, your friends are, you know, you're on the outs with your friends. Uh, you're getting really sick. Somebody in your family dies. Um, you know, whatever. If you get persecuted for your faith. Whatever it might look like. When it feels like this is not supposed to happen. Right? You get this vision of Jesus saying, actually, it, it is. Things are actually going according to plan. And I think, I, think that should, I think that can give us at least a little bit of comfort. And I get it. You, you very well might be sitting there thinking, okay, that is the crappiest, dumbest plan I've ever heard. So the way you're going to bring justice and redemption is by pain and suffering. And I get that, so hang with us. I think we're going to explain that in just a second. Um, but yeah, you can, take, you can take some consolation that all of the misery and the death and the sickness and just the yuck of this world is not a sign of the fact that Jesus is out of control. Or a sign that Jesus is upset with you and getting you back. It's actually plan A. All right, so let's, uh, second point. Let's take a look at the reason for the suffering, or at least one reason. Uh, because, yeah, that's the question we want to ask. Why does God allow or, or send, right? It seems to be that he sends these terrible things. Um, why doesn't Jesus come back sooner? Why doesn't he come back and make everything right? And I believe that at least in part we see the answer in the fifth seal. Uh, look at verse 9. The fifth seal, you get the picture of, of these martyrs, those that have been uh, killed for their faith. They're believers and they're on earth and they've been killed and now they're uh, in, in, in the throne room with God. They're under the altar and they're crying out to God and they're begging him for justice. How long are you going to wait until you, until you make things right? And you see what they're, uh, they're told to rest a little longer until the numbers of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Right, you see what God says. He says, look, we're... Just wait. Because we're actually waiting for more martyrs. My plan involves more of this. And then the end will come. Alright, I want to read to you a, a, several verses from Matthew 24. I feel like I've been reading to you a lot, but uh, this is... This is really helpful for understanding this passage. Matthew 24, verses 6 through 14. So Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him the question, what will be the sign of your coming at the close of the age? Basically, how are we going to know when you're going to show up? And this is what Jesus says. Um, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
All right. I don't know if you could catch that from, being, from having it read to you, but, but basically Jesus says the end is going to come once the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world. So really what, what Matthew 24, what Jesus says there, is what we're getting a picture of in Revelation 6. So basically, um, the gospel being preached to the whole world is sort of paralleled with, or, um, uh, yeah, a, you know, um, a counterpart with, um, the full number of martyrs being realized. Now, how does that make any sense? The gospel going out is sort of equated with people dying for Jesus. How can that make any sense? And here's how. Because that is the way of the Lamb. Right? Remember who's on the throne. It's the Lamb that was slain. That's how He conquered. That's how He, in one sense, earned the throne. And that is actually the flavor of His kingdom. It's the way of the Lamb. He won by dying. He won by laying down His strength. He won by bearing with lots of suffering and pain. And so now He reigns in this universe. He, He is on the throne and He reigns as the Lamb. Ephesians 2 tells us that basically, if you're a believer, you reign, you, are, you reign in heaven with Jesus. And that means that you reign, because you might look around and feel like, I don't feel like I'm reigning anything. Like, the world is, is kicking my tail. But if you're a believer, you reign in heaven and you reign as the Lamb. Right? The one who was slain. So what does that mean? It means that to reign with Christ, that we reign by dying. We, we reign by bearing with a lot of pain and suffering. Uh, it means that we reign, uh, and, and therefore the gospel will go out by, by bearing with a lot of wrong being done to us. Uh, we reign by giving away ourselves sacrificially to others. Yeah, the way that God is spreading the good news, the way that He is spreading His kingdom, at least in one sense, is by having His people live, live out, display the ultimate truth, right? The, the dying of the Lamb. So what does that look like for us? I'm going to finish it up. What would it look like to live in the way of the Lamb? Um, well, I mean, as you can imagine, it's, it's going to involve uh, pain and suffering and bearing with that. Um, but not without hope. Uh, a pastor friend of mine said, you know, we, like, we tend to think that our, our neighbors, our friends, um, are gonna, that don't know Jesus, we, we think that they might come to know Jesus by knowing us, uh, and this is the way he said it, by just sort of, sort of uh, seeing our awesomeness. And they're going to be awed by our awesome awesomeness. And they're going to think, I want to be awesome like that. And, you know, tell me about it. Oh, it's Jesus. And, like, I want to be awesome too. And then they'll share in our awesomeness. 
And he says, you know, that, that might happen sometimes, but usually, you know what it looks like? It, it looks like a lot of pain and suffering. It looks like people watching you uh, either literally or probably more metaphorically dying, but dying well. Dying, um, suffering, and yet not without hope. Um, it looks like bearing with wrong done to you and not striking back. Uh, it, it looks like It looks like forgiving your roommate when, when they were wrong and you were right. Uh, it looks like bearing other people's financial burdens, potentially. It looks like listening to people and, and walking through their pain with them, sharing their burden. Because that feels like a death sometimes. Yeah, it looks like forgiving. Let me give you this. Uh, in, in RUF, right uh, when I was at Ole Miss, right after I graduated... Um, actually, I guess it's our first year of marriage, uh, Amy's last year of college. Uh, a girl in our group, uh, this was after RUF one night, she went to a friend's house, was hanging out, and she was driving home. And look, this is like the, the just sweetest girl that you've ever met, right? Just the dearest person. She was, everybody loved her. So she leaves her friend's house, and she's heading home. And across town... Uh, at a bar, a guy and some of his buddies are leaving, uh, leaving the bar, and they've had too much to drink, and they pile in uh, their SUV, and they're heading the opposite direction. And you know where this is going. They meet at a, at a curve on one of the roads there in Oxford, and he just plows right into her. And she, she never stood a chance. And, I mean, it was, it was devastating, right? As you can imagine, I mean, this, what, 20-year-old, 19-year-old girl, just gone. It was devastating to me. And, and, and we were acquainted. I want you to think about her dad. How did he react? Her dad was just utterly devastated. But I want you to know that her dad, he actually met with that boy that killed his daughter. And he met with him and he forgave him. And he told him about Jesus. And he actually wrote a letter to the judge and he, he pled for the judge to have mercy in sentencing this guy. The guy that killed his daughter. Now how, did, how could he do that? He could do that because he, he knows the lamb. He knows that the lamb was slain for him. And so that meant that he could He could somehow endure unimaginable suffering and yet do it in such a way that it reflect the goodness of the Lamb. That he could suffer and truly suffer, but not without hope. Right? You can imagine, right? Imagine how it affected that 
that guy. Look, we've got to end, and there's just a whole lot more to cover. Um, gosh, I want to say that, you know, enduring suffering doesn't just advance the gospel, but it's also good for us. Uh, it keeps us in a place of recognizing our need for Jesus. Um, God also waits because he's gracious and patient. Second Peter 3, 9, if you're a note taker, uh, says basically that um, God is waiting because there are more people that are going to come to know him. And so he waits to come back because he's merciful. All right, so very quickly, uh, let's look at our third point, the end of suffering. Verses 12 through 17, and this is what we see in the sixth seal. The sixth seal seems to be giving us a uh, a picture of the end of the world. Um, And look, as antiquated as this, I don't know how that lands with you, right? Uh, this might, it might sound you know, silly, hokey, or whatever, but, but this is what the Bible says. Uh, you get this picture of there, there is going to be a time when, when Jesus comes back and when full justice, judgment comes. And it is a picture, it, you kind of get the idea that it's a picture of God. Um, he has his hands right on the world, controlling it, keeping it together, sustaining it. And then it's like he just kind of takes his hands off. And it just unravels. Creation just starts coming undone in this vision. And and those that are are not on the side of the Lamb are terrified at this judgment. And they beg for the mountains to fall on them. And it's terrifying in one sense, but not if you're the church. Um, Because, look, again, this is written to to the church, to those that were persecuted, and God gives them this vision that justice is going to come. And we're going to talk about that in weeks, in weeks to come. But the good news is that this suffering is going to end. And Jesus is going to bring judgment and justice. But let me end with this thought that as potentially terrifying as this is, John gets this vision, and we're going to look at it next week, that, that this... This ultimate judgment is not for you if you're a believer. Right? We see, you see that, um, that God has sealed His people. He's put His seal on His people. And it's actually, you'll notice, it's before any of these other seals are opened. Even though we read it later. And so what you, you get the picture uh, of, the, of the truth that... That God's people are going to go through this world and there is going to be pain and suffering, but it's not going to be ultimate pain and suffering. That from ultimate death, from ultimate judgment, you are utterly protected. You You are unspeakably safe because you have the seal of God. And I want you to notice, what is it that protects them uh, from that ultimate judgment? Is it, is it that they're better than the world? Is it that they're, um, you know, they've figured out life, they're the ones that have started doing the right things, and so God is, you know, takes it easy on them? No. Where were God's people in this passage? They were under the altar. And that might seem really weird, but, but think about that for a second. The, the martyrs, which I think represent God's people, they are under the altar... Which, what was the altar? Uh, right, the Old Testament picture of where sacrifice would be offered. 
The whole, the whole way in which God could meet and, and be in relationship with mankind was because something would die, right? A lamb, something like that, would die on that altar. And the blood from that would run down and, and, and cover what, what's under the altar. So you get the picture of God's people taking shelter, being covered in the blood of the sacrifice. And so it really, not only does it, certainly not that um, it's that these people are better, right? It points to the fact that these people need to be cleaned up. They need to be washed in this blood. And it's simply the ones that have turned to, to Jesus for grace and mercy. And so look, if you're not a believer, I, I want you to see that the Bible really does say that there's going to be judgment. And I know, I, I know that sounds so potentially silly or horrible. But it's what the Bible says. But it holds out the same thing to you. To take refuge under the altar. Absolutely for free. That's an invitation to you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this vision of truth. Uh, We pray that You would help us to understand it, that we've handled it correctly. God, would you apply it to our hearts? Um, Would you answer, would you begin to answer so many of the questions that we have about so many difficult things? Um, But ultimately, we see that you suffered. You suffered in our place. Um, Father, thank you for that truth, uh, that you would send your son Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.